0: Hello, caregivers. Welcome to my podcast. This is a place for helping professionals and personal caregivers to share openly and honestly about the true hardships of providing care to others. While we also talk about sustainable solutions to self-care and personal wellness. My name is Amanda Rochelow. I am a registered clinical social worker and a compassionate specialist, and I am committed to helping the helpers. Uh, In today's episode, I am interviewing Brianna Pizzuto. Um, I really wanted you to hear from Brianna because we uh, have been getting to know each other for quite some time and um, she has an amazing new business called Talk Tools. And I wanted to uh, give her the opportunity to uh, tell you more about it. We also have some just open conversation about managing our own mental health and uh, levels of compassion fatigue. So I hope that uh, by listening into our conversation that uh, each of you will might get something from it, uh, learn something or uh, feel a little bit connected to um, your own story through ours. Um, so I hope you enjoy this interview. Um, please check uh, in the information of this podcast. I will uh, add Brianna's uh, link to her website, Talk Tools Training. Okay, so I'm here with Brianna Pizzuto and uh, I asked her to join me on this podcast so that uh, I could uh, share with all of you a little bit about what I know, what she's doing, which I think is pretty amazing. Um, so I'm going to pass it over to you, Brianna, and have you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you're up to these days.
1: Great. Thanks, Amanda. So my name Brianna. I'm born and raised in Ottawa. I live in the West End. I long time ago, wanted to become a doctor and so I took health sciences in university and then I went back for a second degree in psychology and med school didn't work out for me but somewhere along the way I gained an interest in mental health and supporting people struggling with their mental health. And I've worked in various roles in the social services field. In Ottawa, I've worked in supportive housing and addictions with youth, and I've worked most notably at the Distress Centre of Ottawa, where I was the manager of volunteer engagement and support, i.e., training the volunteer crisis line responders that take the calls there. And that's a 24-7 call centre that takes calls from Ottawa and surrounding area from people struggling with all kinds of life situations, mental health, suicide. After leaving Distress Center, I worked for a short period of time at Ottawa Victim Services, also training their volunteers. And now I own a business, which is called Talk Tools, and I offer trainings to organizations and individuals in Ottawa about how to talk about mental health. So active communication skills, setting limits and boundaries, and as well as ASSIST, which is Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training, which is a two-day workshop to teach caregivers the skills needed to intervene with someone who's having thoughts of suicide.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So what uh, inspired you to start your own business and start Talk Tools um, you know, based on your own um, professional experience or your personal background? What, what was the inspiration?
1: So the inspiration came from a friend, I guess, as it, as it often does, Her little small business owners. So I was thinking that I wanted to do something as an assist trainer because I have that certification to offer. And a friend of mine, knowing my background at the distress center said to me, Brie, you've got to train people in these skills. And I think that we're at a place in our society, in Canada, in Ottawa, where there are resources that exist for people who are struggling with mental health. Um, People may not know what those resources are. And even less so people, we're at a point where we're ready to talk about it. We have Bell Let's Talk Day, we have all these encouraging campaigns saying we need to talk about our mental health, talk to someone, get yourself help. And then I found that on the flip side of that, we're maybe ready to talk about it, but we're not really ready to know what to say when somebody discloses to us Mm -hmm. that they're struggling unless you're a social worker or unless you you're in the helping field and oftentimes the first person that somebody discloses to is going to be a friend or a family member or a colleague who might not be in the helping field professionally Mm -hmm. so that's where I come in and I I I believe that I'm one of very few people doing what I'm doing. I've looked around for this kind of training that I'm offering just to see who else is out there. And I really haven't been able to find anybody that is giving this kind of training about practical communication skills to use. And I I really am passionate about it because I believe that the way that somebody is responded to the first time they disclose about their mental health, if that's a positive, Um, reaction that they get they're more likely to seek professional help and if it's a negative or shaming or stigmatizing reaction that they get they're less likely to seek professional help and more likely to suffer in silence which is not really healthy or helpful to anybody so that's where that's what drives talk tools to offer these skills and I found so many different people in so many different sectors so far have been really interested in it because we just don't get these skills anywhere else
0: absolutely and that's why i i've you know been able to connect with you and why i value what you're doing with talk tools so much um because i mean we've had so many different conversations about this ourselves about the um the importance of of really including the community in um in in healthcare essentially and the work that i'm doing with um helping professionals but also with caregivers really you know i the way i see it is that we are all have a a responsibility in the community to um, uh, to contribute to the conversation of, of, of wellness and good mental health. And a lot of times caregivers are, um, you know, we, they describe themselves as nurses, teachers, social workers, psychologists, that they are wearing all these different hats. Um, and something that we've talked about over the last uh, little while here is about the um, how good intentions are, are mm-hmm. you know, that's one thing, that there's a lot of employers, there's a lot of uh, family members um people in the community that have great intentions and want to um be sort of mental health ambassadors but the know-how is a whole other piece mm-hmm. You know, I remember being in early, early on in my career as a social worker, and uh, for the first time coming across uh, an individual um, with, with a pretty high risk uh, uh, situation of, of suicidal thinking, and uh, feeling even overwhelmed as, as somebody who's got a, a great deal of training and a great deal of education in our background, and still. Actually, thinking to myself, I'm actually not sure what to do in this moment, and that prompted uh, me to going into getting assist training, which is really easy to do when you're in the field. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I love that you're doing with Talk Tools is that you're making this information, this training, um, more accessible to uh, cross sectors and uh, to uh, general the general population who who are providing care in our communities. So. Uh, love, love, love what you're doing. Thank you. Um, so now we've, we, you and I have, you know, been chatting so much about, uh, wellness and mental health and so on. And, and, you know, my piece around compassion fatigue, and we've, we've talked a little bit about that, uh, both being, uh, women who have, uh, worked, uh, with individuals in distress. We've, uh, um, Uh, you know, felt the impact of that. Uh, We're also in our own businesses and navigating uh, being entrepreneurs and um, taking care of ourselves. So would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about your own experience with compassion fatigue and uh, the impact of working with people in distress?
1: For sure. Yeah. So I, I know you know that only really recently would I put a label of compassion fatigue or burnout on what I went through. Um, I so after five years of working in various roles at the distress center, starting as a volunteer and then managing um, managing volunteers and training them, I had a situation one day where I realized that I was dealing in a life or death situation. So it was also an individual who is a very high risk of suicide attempt in progress. And it was my responsibility to engage emergency services, which I did. And I realized after that call that this is a a call that I was paged in the middle of the night for and I got up and I dealt with it and I didn't feel anything. My heart didn't pound. I went back to bed and fell asleep after. And that's the moment that I realized this is not normal. My heart should be pounding when I'm dealing with someone who's on the brink of death. And, um, and it used to pound and somehow that went away. And I started to realize all these little pieces of me that had floated away somewhere, things that I wasn't doing for myself anymore. Not feeling present in conversations anymore. Feeling like I was just going through the motions. And one day, my friend who suggested to me to start talk tools. This is a prior conversation to that one. Noticed that I wasn't quite right in my office. And um, and that week, three people in my life, important people to me, suggested that perhaps I take sick leave uh, to deal with the stress of my job. And I thought. That sick leave wasn't really going to do too much because I would go away and and maybe have a great time and relax and then come back into the same situation. And for me, it was less about the people in distress and the clients I was serving, and more about a bigger situation happening in the workplace, which I suspect is happening in many workplaces. And through our conversations, I know that um, you've spoken to so many people who are in workplaces that are just not set up to support their employees' mm-hmm. well-being um ironically in the social services field mm-hmm. and so um yeah i i reached out for help to talk to someone which is really difficult to do when you're a helper because i think and you you can speak to this is when you're a helper you on some level have to separate yourself from the person that you're helping almost as if they're the helpy i'm the helper and that's the way that's the roles that we play and so i mm-hmm. Admitting that you're a helper who needs help is really, really difficult to do and I want to spread the message through talk tools and through my trainings is that now that I talk about this experience A little bit more publicly than I did when it was happening. I want people to know that it's okay to get help and that there's help that exists and that we really have to take care of ourselves before we can take care of other people, and that sounds like such a cliche, but I've lived it, and I know it's true, and and I also want to tell people that you don't have to be 30 years into a career to experience compassion fatigue, that I'm a young professional, and it happened to me, and and I shamed myself a lot for that, thinking I'm just, I'm new-ish in my career, I'm I've been doing this for five years. I haven't been doing this for 30 years. What's wrong with me? Am I not strong enough to do this work? And um, the truth is that I have learned that I was just so good at that work, that that's why that happened to me. And that without empathy, there is no compassion fatigue. And empathy is not something that I want to give up in Mm -hmm. my personality or in my life or offering to other people.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that you just described compassion fatigue so well. Um, that I th- I, I, I'm i sure there are so many people that can relate to that. Everything from the um, fact that it, you know, you, you first talked about this sort of desensitized experience where um, just the sense of feeling uh, somehow changes. and it, And you also spoke to the fact that it's this gradual process mm-hmm. and you don't really notice it happening until it sort of becomes really... Evident in your life, you know, as I always call it, the red zone, you know, where the feelings become really intense or the experience is really um, obvious at that point. But in hindsight, oftentimes you can kind of see, you can see it building that gradual erosion Mm -hmm. of that compassion um, the de- desensitization about the, uh, the feelings that come from work, um, uh, is, is a, is a big sign. Um, and then I think you described it. I, I, am I'm, I'm going to paraphrase because I can't remember exactly how you described it, but, um, but, you know, when you were just talking about sort of the, the loss of, of self and, um, um, uh, feeling kind of distant, um, floating away, I think you said something to that effect. And, um, I think these are, it's the the truth is we're not going to sort of wake up one morning and say I have compassion fatigue Uh, most of the time it's 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 all those other ways that we described it the the, you know the the kind of the the real life version of describing our experience and sometimes it takes a friend too to sort of reflect back to us what what they see or don't see and sometimes that's really helpful too um yeah and then you also spoke to the fact that it that a lot of times the the, it's 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 not that it's not stress, it's not the same as what we would call stress um you know, yes, there are difficult parts about serving um the clients that we that we work with um But, and, and, you know, that can be stressful in some cases, but the experience of compassion fatigue is outside of that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's an, it, uh, a personal experience. Sometimes it can be very hidden. We can keep it really kind of to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and yes, our, our work environments, uh, are contributing factors to that, but it's not the whole piece. Um, we could probably go on a really big tangent about uh, the patterns that we see, uh, you know, in our community, in our country, um, around, uh, uh, you know, the the, uh, I guess, the environments, the structure, the policies that uh, influence social service programs and the agencies that. Um, Maybe we could, <laughs> that could be improved in order to, um, honor the wellness of, of the staff there. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you wrapped it up so, so nicely with, you know, that statement, about how we cannot provide care for others unless we're providing care for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't pour from an empty cup. So, um, yeah, I thank you for sharing your own piece and your own perspective on that. It's nice to hear um, somebody with some insight about their own experience uh, with it and how it, how it applies to their own story. Um, so so y- you spoke to this a little bit, but I, I guess I'm curious um, to hear a little bit more about what were some of the most evident warning signs for you that prompted you to kind of st- take a step back and evaluate um and 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 reach out and get some help um as you said uh this is a very personal experience and people it it varies from person to person so i think the more that people are are talking openly about some of those warning signs the more that uh someone out there may be able to see themselves in 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 a similar experience so what were those warning signs for you
1: for sure for me thinking back um So it was being busy every moment of my waking day, rushing around. Uh, I'm a person that values being on time and respecting other people's time by showing up on time and being, I I was just consistently a few minutes late everywhere because I just couldn't keep up with Mm -hmm. um, booking my days full. And I think, thinking back now, looking back now, I was booking my days so full so that there wasn't a moment of self-reflection in there probably on purpose because if I actually had a moment to myself to spend time with myself I think that would have been really unpleasant and I think mm. I wouldn't really realize there was a much bigger problem. So I think I ran from it for a while by just filling my schedule and being around people. I, I was working multiple jobs at the same time. Um, I... I felt numb a lot of the time, so I felt like my feelings were behind this veil where mm-hmm. something, somebody would tell me something or something would happen, and I would think, wow, I should be feeling upset about that, or I should be feeling sad, or even I'm surrounded by my greatest friends and we're doing an activity that I used to love to do, and I should be feeling happy, but I wasn't actually feeling anything.
0: Um, and that would and that, be in your personal life and your professional life. For you, sure. It was cross the board. Yeah, it was across the board. Yeah,
1: yeah. Across and the board. and mom,
0: like you said, moments of sadness or, or, or sort of on that sort of negative end of the spectrum of feelings, but then also um, feelings of joy and, and uh, contentment. It was a numbness towards it all.
1: Yeah, I wasn't feeling anything and um, numbness towards it all. Um, making myself really busy. I think also just losing sight of my value and my worth and mm-hmm. um, being, you know, like I think part of the erosion that happens is is part of losing some, some sense of yourself, like you said, and some sense of your value and your worth. And you kind of go the, down this path of of le- not saying no to anybody and then letting people tell you what you should be doing and instead of coming, driving from your own passion and your own self, you're, you're just responding to everybody else's needs of you. Mm. And, um, and I'm almost feeling like it's, it would have been selfish for me to take time for myself or selfish to say no to someone, just being at everybody's back and call work wise. Um, and in my personal life and really not being of service to anybody because I was just floating through and I I know after making changes um, Actually, you and I had a conversation where I told you I don't know how I was doing all the things I was doing in that time of <laughs> yeah. my life and you said to me well You weren't doing them at a hundred percent. You were doing all those things at fifty percent or less. And that's so true and um, Yeah, and then the really the the breaking point of realizing that something was wrong was I was crying in my office to my uh, to somebody who asked me how my day was. And I thought I am not going to be the woman who cries in her office. It's just not crying is fine, but it's just not who I want to be professionally. I, I don't want this to over overcome me so much that I just feel like I don't have control over my emotions in certain settings anymore. And um, that wasn't a shameful experience. Luckily, the person that I was speaking to was really kind and safe and a comfortable person for me. And, um, but it could have been, it could have been a a really awful experience if it was with somebody else or in a place, um, less comfortable. So I don't, I don't know if other people find themselves in my story. I hope they, I I mean, I hope and I don't, because I don't want anyone to have to go through this, but yeah, it's just that. just when, w- even when pleasurable things seem like a chore, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you feel like I used to really enjoy walking my dog and now walking the dog is just another thing I have to do that I don't have time for today. Mm-hmm. Where I used to really enjoy doing yoga and now doing yoga is just another thing that I have to tackle at the end of my night when I've already worked three jobs today and um, even making healthy meals or finding time to just do basic cleaning and, and, and taking care of myself just, just didn't feel good anymore. And why bother kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's that whole piece around this, this, um, conversation around self-care and how, if we are not acknowledging compassion fatigue, if we don't have an understanding of what it is, how it's impacting us, then that, I mean, that's really the, the first place we need to begin before we even have a conversation of self-care. Because what you just described is what we would normally call self-care practices, walking the dog, uh, visiting with friends, having the hot bubble bath, uh, going to yoga, that, that when compassion fatigue is in our lives, even those uh, typical self-care activities no longer are rejuvenating as they are, are meant to be or as they once were. So, so in order to benefit and, and experience uh, self-care, we really need to be also monitoring and addressing our levels of compassion fatigue along the way. And, and, you know, I, I hear you and you say, you know, in some ways you hope that people can't relate because in an, in, in a ideal world, we would all have, um, I guess those managed compassion fatigue levels, but um, but that that uh, it, that isn't reality. The you said it earlier that it uh, compassion fatigue and the risk of it is directly linked with how much compassion and empathy we have initially, mm-hmm. and so those of us who are um, particularly very caring individuals are at the most risk. And that can happen at any time, anywhere, and life is constantly changing, so our levels of compassion fatigue are constantly changing i can I personally feel like there are times where i 've been really in sync and in harmony and feeling uh, really uh, passionate, compassionate, empathic, um, feeling like i 'm working within my means and Feeling good about that, and then other times, just like a flip of a dime, um, that can shift um, mm-hmm. depending on what what else might be happening personally, or uh, you know, maybe if I'm ill or if I'm healthy. So there's a lot of contributing factors to our levels of compassion fatigue. So it's something that we have to constantly monitor, but it makes a difference. Like those self-care practices, um, you know, are, are, are a lot less impactful when we have high levels of compassion fatigue. So the image that I always use, uh, if anybody's attended any of my workshops, they know that I always have that image of the rusty old car up in, in talking about compassion fatigue. So, you know, when we're talking about burnout and and this kind of chronic stress and then Reaching a level burnout, I, I that kind of uh, the the image that can match with that is the um, is the empty gas tank, right? So so it doesn't matter how important it is to get from point A to point B. There's no gas in the car, and you cannot move forward. And that's really what burnout feels like. But compassion fatigue, we keep going. It's there's the engine works. There's gas in the car. Um, but there's, there's this rust and it starts on the exterior. And as we know, rust grows and it slowly and gradually erodes through all the layers and eventually sometimes right to the framework. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's the way I think about compassion fatigue is it's uh, like we, we keep going. We're doing it all. We're, we're we get to maybe the yoga class or get to the social event, and we get through the the shift at work. Um, but we're just not looking so sparkly, um, no. and we're just not feeling it. So I think that uh, your story d- describes the experience with compatibility very well. That you can look very effective, um, very busy um, in in your life, yet be carrying around this feeling, this 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 sense of um, um, uh, I, I guess, uh, maybe emptiness that those are my words, um, or, or sort of disconnect. You know?
1: Yeah. And I think it's, you make me think of two points of we're, we're getting around at the same time, though, it feels really out of your control. Like it just mm-hmm. feels like everything is happening to you. Like you're not actually in the driver's seat as you're getting around. You're just, um, you're just doing what you have think you have to do. And the thought of saying no is just way harder than continuing on. So you just continue on. Yeah. And I think going back to the self-care piece, um, I, I, and you've really taught me a lot about this, Amanda, is that self-care is, is so much more than doing those activities, like having a bath or going to a yoga class. Because for me, when I was in that frame of mind of my compassion fatigue, I would have a bath, and then I wouldn't feel any better, and then I would get mad at myself and think, okay, you made the time for a bath, and now I'm laying in a bath, and I'm reading a book, and I'm thinking, I don't feel any different, I feel the same, nothing, it's not working, nothing's <laughs> happening, yeah. and, um, and then that just adds to it, of um, you know, the it, where self-care almost becomes another chore, and, yeah. and you guilt yourself into thinking, like, well, I had a bath, it didn't work, I drank a cup of tea, I feel the same, and, um, and it's actually much deeper than that. And like you said, it's, it's about an awareness of where you're at with your fatigue and how it's affecting you and, and just stre- finding your worth again and finding your passion again and making room for things again, to just gain control over life again, I think. And, mm-hmm. and getting back in the driver's seat. So you're not just, you're not just going through the motions. Is really
0: important. Yeah. So, so what, I mean, I think you've, you've talked about making changes in your life and um, what that looks like for individuals is going to be different, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. um, I've changed jobs. That's not everybody's reality. Um, I've changed uh, things about my health, you know? Uh, um, that's not what everybody's situation is. But if you could... Um, sort of pinpoint some things that you're putting into practice today that are making a difference whether it be something you're doing or a way that you're thinking um can you pinpoint some things that are making a difference in your own wellness now
1: yeah I think um so I don't book my days as full now as I used to um I also don't I I mean I have a business and I'm booking workshops with clients and those kinds of things but I don't book as far out as I as I used to. So when I was in that frame of mind, it would be like any any given time, the next three weeks are booked solid. And if mm-hmm. I had a friend that wanted to see me, it would be well in the fourth week. And then by the time we get to next week, those next three weeks are booked solid. And so right. um, I try not to do that to myself anymore. I, I do check in with myself m- on a much more regular basis of how am I actually feeling? And then practicing self-compassion of if there's a day that I'm not feeling well or not feeling up to um, up to things that day, I can look at well, okay, what doesn't have to be done today? What can I give myself more time on? Um, what can I move to another day? Not forcing myself through it anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think also just just being honest with the people that care about me. I like I hid this for. I, well, I, I think I hit it. I don't know how well I actually hit it, but um, I, I mean, the, pe- the people who really care about me probably knew something was going on. But I think being more honest now about how I'm feeling and, and how I'm doing with the people that care about me and the people that are safe for me to do that with is important mm-hmm. because there are people that will support us. They just need to be asked or told sometimes that we need them. Um, and making use of those networks. Um, And also recognizing that some people can't support us in the way that we would want them to, but they can support us in their own way and then drawing on that. You know, there's some people that, that I, I, we all go to different levels with different people. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. just lowering expectations of what we want someone to do for us and just um, being grateful for what they can do for us. Mm -hmm. It's a um, different way of looking at
0: things. Yeah. Yeah, adjusting that expectation of others and and taking sort of more personal ownership over um, our our sense of well-being. And it's very difficult to ask others uh, for support when we don't really understand what we need so that what i was really hearing you say was that um a, a big part of 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 the change is is that tuning in and being a little bit more in the present moment as opposed to you know four weeks in advance um or or so focused on the other than and not focused on self and you you mentioned something about self compassion which is something uh, that i that i'm always trying to learn more about that i'm always talking about and um it's something that seems very relevant with um Uh, compassionate people in general or caregivers, as I describe us, um, is that caregivers can be very compassionate towards others, but, uh, but uh, often the ability to reflect that same level of compassion to ourselves seems to uh, not be quite as uh, quite our strength. So um, yeah, as a caregiver specifically learning about self-compassion and treating ourselves kindly gently um, and showing up for ourselves and when you talk about sort of being more present and and less you know uh, in the future I think that's that piece too that if if we were to if we were to describe a good friend and a friend said um, I'm having a really bad day then typically we wouldn't say well let's talk about it four weeks from now yeah Uh, right (laughs) so when we when we can acknowledge that you know, there, we're going to have rough days that we need to, part of self-compassion is showing up in the moment Mm -hmm. and, and being gentle and nurturing and soothing in the moment, not, and not putting that off. Um, And I think the more we, we enhance our own self-compassion and our own self-awareness, then yeah, like you said, the more we actually can understand how to access the resources around us, including the supportive people, um, because we, we know how to get what we need We understand our needs better. Um, So that's a a really nice part of the story then. And as I'm sure, I mean, you and I are are friends and we'll keep talking, but you know, it's not to say that um, you have this like aha moment and, and realize uh, geez, I guess that was self-compassion or, or compassion fatigue and, and, uh, you know, and burnout and, and, and now I've got all the answers and now I'm going to be okay. Like there's still hard days. There's still stress. There's still, Mm. uh, times where the compassion fatigue can, can rise and, and, and fall. And, um, but it's that, that tuning into it and, and, a big part of what we're, I hope we're doing here, and I very, very much appreciate your sharing, is about breaking down that stigma and having these conversations uh, aloud, not behind closed doors and not just with the therapist, but but all of us just acknowledging that our mental health is fluctuating all the time, that we have difficult Uh, days that are there there's parts about our jobs that's really difficult and uh, it's okay not to be okay all the time and we can uh, the more we talk about that uh, the more we create a safe space to um, normalize the ups and downs of mental health. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah and I think it's really important not to not to judge yourself for that and Mm -hmm. I think I judged myself for a long time at the thought of getting help or talking to somebody and I can remember one impactful conversation with with the with a friend where I, I said I think I need to see someone and he said well what are you scared of are you scared of what people would say when they find out you're seeing someone and I said no and he said okay well you're just scared of what you think about yourself needing to see what someone then mm-hmm. and that was a moment of realizing yeah I'm 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 not practicing what I preach. I'm mm-hmm. out telling Judging. telling people all the time. There's no judgment. You you can get help if you need it. It's okay. Um, you can still live. You know. You can still do the job you're doing, and you can still um, live a happy and healthy life. And it's okay to get help. And yet I wasn't extending that to myself, and mm-hmm. so yeah I think meeting yourself where you're at and extending like you said the same the same kindness and compassion to yourself that you would to your client or to somebody that you love or care about is really important yeah and sometimes we don't even realize we're judging ourselves um, and we're holding ourselves back from being a better version of ourselves. and I think mental health is this big scary topic to a lot of people and, and sometimes we don't realize that we don't need to necessarily be diagnosed with something to have up and down days and that that's okay. And that having up and down days doesn't necessarily mean that you can't live a good life or be the best version of yourself. Yeah. Um, and we get scared of labels or what might happen if we disclose what we're struggling with and and you know, everybody has mental health and everybody has these days and learning how to get through them for yourself will be really important and asking for help when you need it also very important.
0: Yeah. And that, that really leads into, um, Really, is the the basis of some of the workshops that you're providing with Talk Tools, um, is is opening up the floor to these conversations about mental health. So you have a workshop called Challenging Conversations. Um, Can you describe describe that that workshop a little bit more to us?
1: Yeah. So I have two of my own workshops that I've put together. Challenging Conversations being one of them, and then relating and responding to mental health being the other one. And so the Challenging Conversation ones is where we explore what makes some conversations challenging and it's not always the subject matter but sometimes it's um, our own experience with a a certain subject or sometimes it's communication barriers or differing communication needs Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's that we have to say no to someone and that's really hard to do and so in that workshop we work through Uh, a discussion about why limits and boundaries are important Mm -hmm. why people push limits and boundaries that we set and why we allow ourselves to be pushed just to Mm -hmm. open up that self-awareness of um, the empathy for the other person of why is this person continuing to push my limits but then also why do i allow myself to give in and what is that about
0: Mm -hmm. and then
1: we work through a model A three-step model of how to say no in a respectful way that's not damaging to the relationship, but at the same time asserting your own needs and not sacrificing yourself for for somebody else's needs. And then, the other workshop that I offer, relating and responding to mental health, we we look very very basically at what does what do common mental illnesses sound and look like in the workplace or amongst friends. What might you hear from someone who's suffering from depression or who's not able to control their anxiety and then we look at very specific and practical active listening skills of how do we respond and and what is the difference between active listening and just listening and what is the importance of somebody feeling heard and being validated for what they're feeling Mm -hmm. and how that really makes a difference in strengthening a relationship and communication and fostering open and safe communication in the future.
0: I love those topics i I thank you for describing them I think I just think of so many people who would benefit from those types of workshops uh, again even people in the sector you know with oodles of training and uh, background in um, uh, mental health or social services that is coming to these conversations um, and I, I think that the nuances of the conversation you know the you know it's one thing to sort of um I mean I've 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 I sometimes give this assertiveness formula to 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 clients and we talk sort of about structuring a conversation um to be assertive and so on but um <clears throat> but the real life versions it doesn't always does the formula doesn't always quite apply. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think something else that you talked about that I think that I, I, I think is really important is, is understanding the, the variability in how mental health, uh, shows itself, you know, and, um, that, uh, there are many people who might have a different experience with, for example, anxiety or depression, um, that show up to work, um, And uh, if we can start having more open, honest conversations about mental health, breaking down the stigma about that, um, looking at it from all sorts of different angles, um, as the individual experiencing a mental health illness, as well as um, people who are supporting people with mental health illnesses, um, and what mental wellness looks like too, right? So, I mean... Um, not everybody is suffering from their mental illness. I mean, there's a lot of people who are living very, very um, productive, manageable lives with, uh, and, and carrying it along with them and have found a lot of resiliency and uh, amazing strategies to get through all of that. So uh, it's all worth talking about. Um, But I think what you're doing with talk tools is about creating a safe space to have that conversation Um, that there, there may be some curiosity there that people want to be able to come to the table, they want to be able to ask questions, they want to be a part of these discussions but where, you know, where do you have that conversation? Where does it feel safe? Will people um, have have uh, the openness to engage in that conversation? And so you're creating a, a, an environment um, where people can come together and uh, learn and share um, and listen. And, uh, I think that's very much needed right now because again, it comes back to there's, there's intention, there's great, good intentions, but we also, we still need to learn how and what and, 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 um, more about this mental health piece. So I'm so grateful that you, um, have talk tools and, uh, that you're putting that out there in our community, um, and, uh, maybe even beyond our community <laughs> and, uh, um, and really, uh, help people engage with this conversation of, uh, with mental health. So, um, uh, I, I mean, I want to ask one more question. What, um, I, I guess, as people are, are, um, starting to approach this conversation of mental health, um, or suicide, and they want to, um, uh, Uh, get in touch with you or access some services um any anything that you might want to say to them about uh uh, that process because you said earlier sometimes that initial um breaking of the ice uh contacting somebody signing up for a workshop uh, picking up the phone sometimes it's it's a bit intimidating so uh any any uh um, anything to offer those folks who might be listening and uh, a little hesitant, um, or curious want to reach out with you? Yeah. So I, I have, well, I have a website. So
1: my website is www.talktoolstraining.com. And there is a form on there that, uh, folks can fill out that comes to me by email. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think I just want people to know like you're never you're never forced to share more than you want to and that um if you reach out to me or you come to one of my trainings I really do work hard to use my skill set and my experience to make it a safe place so that if people feel like they want to disclose more they can but if you don't then hopefully you still walk away with practical skills that are useful to you in your life Mm -hmm. and um and i'm so happy to talk to anybody who feels like there's a skills gap and um you know we were talking about specifically in the workplace and i think one thing that i encourage is that if you if you're a manager and you feel like you're having struggles on your team i i do one-on-one consulting with managers of teams just to talk about what's going on in the team and you know there's an opportunity to talk to the team separately without the manager as well which can make a big difference and in um just making things safe without having the pressure of your boss right there to talk to and so um there there's certainly different ways i offer community trainings where you wouldn't even have to be a part of your work team to come Um, so i just will try my hardest to accommodate um to ease those fears because i know how hard it is to reach out and i also know how hard it is to reach out and say i'm missing a skill set that i know would really make my life and my work easier but uh, you know sometimes it's hard to admit that because we feel like somebody's going to tell us we can't or we shouldn't be doing what we're doing and um, and ultimately I just want to open these conversations up and help people uh, and find practical skills and you know like you said earlier sometimes models are not always applicable in real life and I try really hard to get an understanding of what an organization is going through or what an individual is going through and come up with examples and scenarios that are realistic and practical to that community. Um, I want people to feel like they're getting value out of the workshops when they're hiring me and so anybody out there listening just know that I'm going to work really hard to make sure that it's useful for you and and it's worth your while to reach out to me.
0: Yeah, thanks for adding that. I think that's really useful for listeners to hear, um, and uh, and I, I guess I want to emphasize too that I am aware that the um, programming you offer is is really. Uh, Across many sectors, and so mm-hmm. we've got a range of individuals accessing your programming uh, teams you know, everything from corporate to nonprofit to the small little businesses, uh, restaurant services, uh, universities, student talking to students that they're really uh, the these services are applicable to just about anybody in any Mm -hmm. sector, um, including the individuals that may not identify as being part of any sector at all, because they're, you know, mom or grandma or auntie Sue or whomever. Um, So I uh, would appreciate in that last piece was just um, the mentioning of how um, applicable these services are and how you provide um, really sort of customized services to make sure that, um, yeah, they meet, they meet the audience's needs. So Mm -hmm. I will have your website um, uh, posted in uh, the uh, podcast description and then the links. um, So people will be able to um, access uh, talk tools training uh, website as uh, easily as possible. Um, Thank you for sharing uh, with us about your, your, your services here. Uh, t- I, again, I'm just such an amazing supporter of talk tools. And I think that um, little, um, you know, uh, pop-up businesses and, and entrepreneurs like yourself, um, doing this work is, is so meaningful in our community. Um, but also thank you for sharing your own story and, um, putting the, the real talk to this conversation of mental health, um, and not being sort of exempt or outside of it, but being right, right in the middle of it, experiencing it as, as, as a human being, um, but also a very talented human being who has a lot, uh, to share the world. So, um, so thank you very much for being with us, Bree. Um, We'll talk soon. Thanks, Amanda.